Hello and welcome to the No BS Approach to Motherhood podcast, hosted by Catherine Hay and Shelley McKenzie. We are both mothers and clinical nutritionists who specialize in women's health. We are here to not only bring you the most up-to-date nutritional and health advice when it comes to fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and children's nutrition, but our main goal is to break through the BS that can come with motherhood. No topic is off limits, so grab a cuppa or a glass of wine and join us for another raw and real conversation surrounding motherhood. We are back for another episode, a very educational episode today, which I'm excited about and one that we've been promising our listeners for for a while, haven't we? Yeah, (laughs) we have. We're talking all things thyroid. We wanted to touch on signs and symptoms of thyroid disease, Hashimoto's, Graves disease, hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism, because there are many different avenues to these diseases or conditions, I also like to call them. So we thought we'd just break it down in layman's terms for you all about the prevalence um, of these conditions being exacerbated during, you know, pregnancy and postpartum, what we can do to support them, tests that we're referring for in clinic and why they're really important. They generally get missed with the standard thyroid pathology that's currently available basically in the Western medicine world. So that's what we're touching on today. Yeah, amazing. So let's start with what the thyroid is. I would say like it's a butterfly-shaped organ located in the base of the neck <laughs> that releases hormones that essentially control our metabolism and it's a way our body uses energy essentially and the thyroid hormones regulate the vital body functions, those being breathing, um, heart rate, temperature, weight, temperature, menstrual cycles, extracting vitamins. Yeah, extracting vitamins, nervous system, cholesterol. Basically, it's a control center of the body. I like to explain it to my clients. It controls absolutely everything. And when it is out of balance, you will either know about it quickly or you won't. It'll be a very low, slow burn of these signs and symptoms kind of creeping up over years, right? Mm. We'll chat about more of that, I reckon, when we get into the testing. But for the prevalence, so 2 to 3% of pregnant women are affected by thyroid dysfunction and 7 to 10% of postpartum women are affected by thyroid dysfunction. And the thing with postpartum I find really interesting is a lot of the symptoms, which we'll dive into, actually mimic postpartum symptoms. So mm-hmm. it, it can be missed by your, your general practitioner when you go in and get in blood tests. And it's I find it very common in practice. It's just put down to where you've just had a baby. Do you see that as well? Absolutely, yeah. which I find really disheartening as a new mum and many women not being educated in the space of, well, no, actually I am feeling rubbish and I'm not going to stand for oh sorry you've just had a child which is I think bullshit (laughs) yeah it is it is and then I guess in pregnancy itself we know that it's required for us to produce 50% more of our thyroid hormones in that first half of pregnancy because baby hasn't developed its own thyroid yet so we are essentially producing thyroid hormones for baby so that's why again in this pregnancy period it can be 
a little bit more likely for women to then develop those thyroid issues just because of of those reasons. And often the manifestations of postpartum thyroiditis are usually not present at that six-week postpartum visit. And Mm. so, again, it can often be dismissed. When do you usually see that postpartum in your clinic, Shell, with your clients that you seeing that postpartum thyroiditis really pick up? Often thyroid is triggered by factors such as stress or like those hormonal fluctuations that can occur. So in that postpartum period, as our hormones are fluctuating and regulating, I often see it more as those hormones start to dull down again. So at the six-week mark, they're still firing, they're fluctuating. And so it's more when those start to dull down a little bit after that big wave of hormonal fluctuation that I start to see more thyroid issues arising. Yeah. I There's been a common trend recently and it's around that six-month mark. You know, baby's about to start solids. Those, that hormone drop has has occurred and the breastfeeding routine is starting maybe to shift a little bit because of the introduction of solids and that's where the fatigue setting in you know I haven't lost any weight post baby which obviously is totally fine and normal but for them you know in previous pregnancies it was totally different mood anxiety a little bit of depression or just their metabolism feels different to them when from their previous pregnancy with their first child to their second child I'm usually seeing it with second births and pregnancies rather than births, which is interesting too. But I'm seeing it around that six-month mark more so than earlier in the piece. Yeah, and I wonder if that second pregnancy as well is women have been through them, that birth, pregnancy, postpartum period. So they sort of know what to expect a little bit more and how their body does regulate and adjust based on that first pregnancy. So I wonder if that's maybe why it's coming to you second and beyond. Absolutely. And their signs and symptoms are completely different, which obviously is normal and natural for for every birth and postpartum is totally different. But you know your body, you know your body if it's off, you can really tap into that postpartum period and you can really understand, okay, is this because I'm in postpartum and my baby isn't sleeping and, you know, all the routines kind of thrown around? Or is this because I potentially have an issue with my thyroid? And most likely, more likely than not, sorry, it's an issue with the thyroid. We're coming back with Hashimoto's disease. That's Mm. predominantly what I'm finding in clinic rather than Graves' disease. And Hashimoto's, for anyone listening, is the autoimmune condition of hypothyroidism. So it's the body attacking or the immune system attacking the thyroid. So it's it's gone from just subclinical hypothyroidism or hypothyroidism. It's gone to, okay, now we're producing thyroid antibodies and we're seeing that autoimmune picture of the thyroid. Well, let's talk about symptoms. Yes, perfect. So yeah, when we look at hypothyroidism, the symptoms that we can commonly expect are weight gain, fatigue, depression, dry skin, constipation, muscle pain, and an aversion to the cold. And then hyperthyroid symptoms are essentially the opposite. So it's feeling warm, muscle weakness, nervousness, anxiety, a fast heartbeat, loss of focus, and weight loss. Any symptoms that I've missed there that you see? No, that's, you've nailed it. (laughs) Um, So again, like we're talking more for that postpartum pregnancy, you can see how a lot of these symptoms, uh, particularly your hypo, can mimic the postpartum pregnancy picture. And also it's important to notice that 
your thyroid can fluctuate between hyper and hyper, hypo and hyper. For example, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. So I swing between the two all the time and my symptoms regularly change based on where my thyroid's at. Yes. Interesting. And was that something that you had to manage quite fastidiously over your pregnancies and postpartum journeys to make sure your levels, because it's a balancing act, right? Between Mm. your inactive thyroid hormone um, T4 and your active thyroid hormone T3. So we want to keep that in homeostasis, which means balance. So were you constantly checking in with your bloods to make sure it was yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was. So I was diagnosed when I was 24 and most of our listeners will know this, but just quickly. So I was diagnosed when I was 24 and I was given thyroxine to begin taking, which that was the medication. So essentially that's what our T4 is. It's thyroxine. And so I was given thyroxine to begin taking. I never did because I knew that I had a lot of room to move within my lifestyle. And we know that thyroid conditions can be managed and controlled very well through diet and lifestyle. So I did that. So during pregnancy, it was something that I kept an eye on. So every four weeks, I get my levels checked and and do a full thyroid picture. Uh, However, pregnancy, my thyroid is absolutely Mickey Mouse. It balances out beautifully. It's postpartum that I start to notice it. And for me personally, it's varied for each pregnancy, but I can certainly start picking up on symptoms around that eight to 12 week mark. Yeah. In the the postpartum period. Yeah. But again, I've had three pregnancies and three postpartum periods. So each, each postpartum period, I have noticed it quicker and I've gone and got my levels tested straight away. And generally I'm getting them tested two weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. Like I'm, I'm all over it because I know what my body does. Do you have lots of hypothyroidism in your clinic with pregnancy? Not with pregnancy, but I am picking it up in that postpartum period for sure. Yeah. And what's really interesting about, you know, because we're talking about hypothyroidism at the moment, it's usually associated with key nutrient deficiencies. And obviously one of them being iodine. That is the most common driver of low thyroid function. But there are other nutrients that also support thyroid function and thyroid health when we're looking at supporting that whole kind of holistic picture. We're looking at iron, we're looking at selenium, we're looking at zinc, we're looking at vitamin D, iodine, obviously. We're also looking looking at some of those other little micronutrients in there as well, like copper. So this is why when Charlie said it can be quite easy to manage through lifestyle and dietary interventions, because there's so much we can do with supplements, but also with food to really support and manage that. Mm, Absolutely. And I guess if we look at the thyroid and its hormones, so when we're testing and to establish what these key nutrients are that we perhaps need to support the body with. So you've got your TSH, which is the most common one on a blood test. So basically when a, a doctor is doing a standard sort of blood test for most women, they will perform your TSH. This is your thyroid stimulating hormone, but it's important to know that this isn't actually produced by the thyroid. So it's produced via the brain and it's it, the brain's communication with your thyroid gland. So it's how much or how little hormone the brain is telling your thyroid to actually produce. So that alone doesn't give us a a good understanding as to where your thyroid markers are. The other thing with the TSH, so considered normal, and I'm doing little inverted commons. What are they called? Inverted. Yeah. Quote, unquote. Thank you. (laughs) 
4 is the reference range, which is quite a, a, a large. Yeah, it is, right? So I would definitely consider 4 being extremely high with your TSH. Yeah. Absolutely. I would I would be very concerned if I saw a patient even at anywhere from basically over 1.5 I'm concerned about. <laughs> right. And so the higher that number is, that's your brain telling your thyroid to produce more and then vice versa. So that's the TSH. Sometimes the TSH can actually look normal and can be sitting around that one to two for up to 10 years while there's actually underlying sort of destruction going on in the background. So mm-hmm. again, this is why it's really important to get other readings tested so then we've got your t4 which is the inactive hormone that's produced so again this is more like the storage hormone and this is your thyroxine so this is commonly what's prescribed as our medication but we also need t3 and to have controlled antibodies for that well balanced and i guess long-term function of our thyroid so t3 is the active hormone that's produced and T4 and T3 work together to regulate how your body uses your energy. And then we sort of mentioned antibodies before, but what they do is they're there to show us if there is that level of autoimmunity occurring. Then you've got reverse T3 and what have you. But if you if you suspect thyroid, then TSH, T3, T4 antibodies, definitely getting checked. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And just to give you some reference ranges too, I think where we want to see them optimally, I think will be helpful for our listeners. So yeah, like I, for sure. I like a TSH between 1 and 1.5. That That's my kind of, your or 0.5 to 1.5, you know, somewhere around there I think is optimal. When we're looking at our T4, looking at, you know, around 19, that higher end of the reference range is actually okay for that particular hormone to be there because we're like, great, we've got that extra bank so to speak we can pull from that and we can turn that into t3 t3 i like to be smack bang in the middle of that reference range i guess it depends what labs you're looking at as their reference ranges will all be different but i'll just give you an example from a naturopath doing a thyroid functional assessment the reference range for free T3 is 3.1 to 6.8. And, you know, I want that in the middle of that reference point. So you're kind of looking at 4.2 to 4.5. Are you the same with your reference range, Michelle? Yeah, thereabouts. And then obviously if we're looking pregnancy, those reference ranges might increase a little bit, particularly if it, if it is that first half of pregnancy, because I do want to see your TSH a little bit higher, your T4 yeah. a little bit higher, you know, because we know that baby's relying on your thyroid hormones. So yeah, definitely around those reference ranges. And then just in that pregnancy space changes a little bit and higher end. And then your antibodies, it's a really common misconception that you cannot lower antibodies if they are present. Yes. So let's just blow that out of the water because it's (laughs) untrue. It's untrue. You can totally, totally Reverse that completely. You, you can. like you have, you know, you have Hashimoto's disease. I'm sure when you're on top of your thyroid health, you have no thyroid antibodies present on a thyroid test. It's a complete misconception. And what happens in clinic that we get so frustrated about is we see a client who hasn't worked with us before. Doctors run TSH. TSH is sitting at four. I'm not even going to bother doing your thyroid panel. Here's thyroxine. You will be on this for the rest of your life. See you later. Bye. How common is that in clinic? And 
it's mind-boggling because thyroxine has to be measured in terms of dosage on the percentage of your body weight and that changes and no one's ever getting their thyroxine doses adjusted to their body weight. They just keep, you know, going up and up and up, 50 milligrams, 100 milligrams on the weekend, you know, all of these strange dosages with this. But there's no information or education around that it's actually not a disease you can have for life. You just have to manage it for life because, yes, you're prone to it because your immune system is attacking it if you're in that Hashimoto's hyper-Graves disease. Um, yeah, if you're in that hypo sort of state. And this is where exactly. the triggers come into it. So, for example, my Hashimoto's is managed. My antibodies have been present in over the thousands before. So I've had, you know, 1,100 and something was my first reading of antibodies. When it's well managed, I don't have any antibodies present, but triggers. This is where when I'm working with my thyroid clients, I need to know what their triggers are. So common triggers can be stress or chronic stress. It can be environmental toxins, nutrient deficiencies, which we're going to jump into, bacterial and viral infections. And then as we've talked about those huge hormonal fluctuations that can occur at different times in our life. One being pregnancy, postpartum, menopause is another common time to see that occurring. So, you know, and I'll give an example just while we're on thyroxine as well. I had a client uh, last week actually, and she said, I've been diagnosed with hypothyroidism. And I said, no worries send me your blood work. Let's have a look at it, blah, blah, blah. She'd been told by her GP and an endocrinologist that she had hypothyroidism, prescribed thyroxine, and she's in the, in the middle of IVF treatment and they had cancelled one of her cycles based on iron levels. And she said, I'm just really nervous if I don't take this thyroxine mm. that they're going to come back and say, I'm sorry, but we're cancelling another one. So she did have some antibodies present. However, TSH, T3, T4, reverse T3, all within range, which is the antibodies, which I know we can get down. Yeah. So it was this really fine line of, okay, well, what do we do? And she was genuinely concerned that if she didn't take the thyroxine, her OB would cancel another round of IVF. So, so what's so interesting about that, sorry to cut you off, but I'm sure you might have about to have dived into it is it obvious so her iron levels were low is that why she was iron mm -hmm. anemic well yeah and then you just think well that's a major player in thyroid health so exactly. why don't we just correct that yeah so what happened yeah fill, fill us in what happened <laughs> right so exactly right and there was other nutrient deficiencies that I could see were occurring there as well but the thing with this client was we're working on a very small time frame and I would have been devastated for her if another cycle got cancelled. So we made the call to go on the thyroxine for a short yeah. period of time, just purely to make her OB happy. But mm -hmm. I said to her in the background, let's be working on bringing those antibodies down. And yeah. I said within four weeks, I want to get it all retested. And once you've had your transfer, then we can assess where she's at in terms of her thyroxine, the need for that, work with her OB with those levels. But it was this really, you know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is there is a time and a place for thyroxine, but I guess the problem with long-term thyroxine is essentially it can kill off your thyroid. So then you will be dependent on it for life. So this yeah. is where thyroxine is prescribed. It's not rechecked four to six weeks later. As you said, often doses are just increased and increased and increased, but we're not actually assessing what damage that is doing mm. to the thyroid and what else can be done. So mm -hmm. it's a very common misconception within the medical world that 
once you've got hyper or hypothyroidism, that's your life. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why we wanted to kind of jump on here because one, it's underdiagnosed. When it is diagnosed, it's diagnosed incorrectly and the wrong medical advice is given out. I'm not saying this is across everything. Like, please mm. don't think that I'm, um, you know, GP bashing here whatsoever, but this is just what, this is a clinical trend we see and it's massive in our industry. Yeah. So many times I'll use some um, clinic examples here. I'm sending off a complete thyroid panel because of X, Y, and Z um, signs and symptoms. And I'm the one who's saying, well, actually you have Hashimoto's disease, but I'm not allowed to clinically diagnose Hashimoto's disease. So then I have to write a letter to my patient's doctor and said, well, on further investigation, we've actually uncovered that this patient's thyroid antibodies are absolutely through the roof. Their T3, T4 are absolutely, you know, really low, really, really high. Can you diagnose this patient with Hashimoto's disease? And that patient gets a diagnosis, but then obviously comes back to me and we work on that and reducing those um, immune antibodies really quickly and you can through diet and lifestyle but but this is the thing that I always say to my clients too how hard do you want to go with me because I know I can get this under wraps with you in in a short period of time but it takes a lot of dedication and work on your end because we have to basically decrease inflammation of your immune system and support your thyroid with those key nutrients that we spoke about before for it to even be able to work optimally but it's not just saying, hey, take these supplements and you're on your way. It's it's a dietary and it's a, a long lifestyle management plan like you yourself are doing every single day. It absolutely is. And this was the call that I had to make with this client as well. She wasn't in the position. She's got toddlers running around. She wasn't in the position to make changes quickly. So yeah. supplement wasn't going to just cut it. And I guess when, you know, let's break down these nutrients a little bit more. So selenium we mentioned, so that helps convert T4 to T3. It also helps the thyroid remove any damaged cells that may be present and may also decrease the antibodies as well. So then we've got iodine, which is important for, for us to produce and convert again, the T3 to T4. It's important iodine needs to be taken with extreme care. I often don't even supplement iodine. I'm often just using it through food sources because it can also throw out your thyroid levels. And essentially, you really want to be testing your iodine along with creatine so that you get in that most accurate reading there as well through the urine. urine. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then zinc is to convert... T4 to T3 and selenium and iodine are important to have together as well. They're like the yin and the yang of the the thyroid. So they neutralize the inflammation and the damage of the gland. And so they're just like a few really key nutrients that as we can see, the thyroid heavily relies on. But then as you said, there's certain things that we can be doing from a dietary point of view to make these changes and what we need to do from a dietary point of view. Supplementation is not just it. So did you want to run through some of those? I guess for me, I'm very much in the mindset of if you have Hashimoto's disease, you need to be off gluten (laughs) because gluten mimics the thyroid receptor sites. So when we're looking at that as in terms of reducing inflammation for the immune system, 75% of the immune system resides in the gut. So the more we can reduce that inflammation from a dietary perspective, gluten is my number one food that I actually do recommend my clients come off. Are you the same with that? Absolutely. I've been 100% gluten-free for 13 years or something now. Depending on the inflammation that is within the body, sometimes I will also do dairy, but generally for a short period of time. And the other thing is goitrogen. So 
they mm. block iodine. So uh, generally when we're looking at things like cabbage, collard greens, soybeans, pine nuts, millets, I think we just need to be careful around them and then your uh, brassica species as well. So they also contain sulfur components that interfere with thyroid hormones, especially when eaten raw. So broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, Brussels sprouts, these sorts of foods, I like them in the diet, particularly from a hypothyroidism point of view. So Hashimoto's cooked. So again, when my thyroid's out of whack, for example, I basically slow cook and cook most foods that I eat. When I fling though into hyper, I actually eat a lot of raw. So my diet is very much like salads and in the raw form. So I use that heated and raw method quite a lot depending on where my thyroid is. Absolutely. And I think that's such a great way to look at it because a lot of the times too, we're seeing clients who are removing all these different food groups for actually no reason, depending Mm. on where their thyroid is at as well. So I think having that education of what's working for you in terms of those foods, I think are really important because just because you have one, you know, hyper or hypothyroidism doesn't mean you have to be off X, Y, and Z in terms of those goitrogenous foods, because they can be so beautiful in terms of if you've got estrogen issues and clearing estrogen you know we really have to weigh up the individual and what they're presenting with and if there's any other contributing factors to their health profile because you wouldn't want to get them off all of these incredible vegetables if there are other issues going on with you know estrogen clearance to the liver and things like that which I won't obviously get into but I think that's where it's a fine line and once we know where your levels are at we can bring foods back in and we can rotate those those nutrient-dense foods as well so I think that's something to note also yeah absolutely and you're right you know there's often a lot of other things occurring within the body when Hashimoto's is present like sluggish digestion for example or hormonal imbalances and it's also not uncommon for people with one autoimmune to then be diagnosed with other Mm -hmm. multiple autoimmunes at some point within their life so that's where again looking at this from a long-term point of view in terms of diet and lifestyle is really important so that you can be living healthy well lifestyle to prevent further autoimmunity occurring later. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really important. I see a lot of celiac disease and Hashimoto's disease together. So you're seeing a lot of those different immune system diseases associated with an unhappy thyroid. And it makes sense if that's a control center of the body trying to regulate everything. And there are these other issues that haven't been regulated. Well, of course, we've got to really weigh up the risk versus benefit analysis. So what I'm always saying to my clients, what you're presenting with is going to be different to someone else. So we've got to go, okay, these foods we definitely want to keep in because of X, Y, and Z with your other autoimmune diseases or immune system diseases. And um, I think that's why it's really important uh, working with a qualified practitioner like us so you get that supported individualized care and I think that's the other thing like if you've been prescribed thyroxine and you had no idea about this conversation that we're having today get in touch because there are always other methods you know thyroxine is not the answer in my eyes it's such a yes it's the answer in terms of let's okay let's balance things out for the short term but you don't have to be um, on on it for the rest of your life I do not agree with that Absolutely. And I think we can both agree that thyroxine is the blanket. Like it's not treating that root cause, treating your triggers, treating your nutrient deficiencies, bringing down those antibodies. Those are things that are going to treat your root cause and help you manage this long-term. So 
Very important to work with a practitioner who is across it like you or I. Our DMs, though, are always open. So if you do have any questions on this, please let us know. We're, we're always there on the No BS page and we'd be happy to help you as well. Absolutely, 100%. All right, beautiful. That's another Ethi done, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That way we can continue to inspire and reach more mamas around the globe. If you would like to get in contact, request a guest or topic, then head to the No BS Approach to Motherhood Instagram page and send us a direct message. Otherwise, until next episode, stay sane, mama.